Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, I'm Nicholas Gordon, host of the Asian Review of Books podcast, done in collaboration with the New Books Network. In this podcast, we interview fiction and nonfiction authors working in, around, and about the Asia-Pacific region. The year is 1985. Durga is visiting her grandmother Mary in rural Malaysia. It's not a particularly happy occasion. Mary is tough and sharp-tongued, and home sparks bad memories for Durga. But a fireworks accident that sends Mary to hospital begins to unravel family secrets that had been building over generations, built by both Mary and Durga. This is the subject of Fragile Monsters, the debut novel by Catherine Menon, published by Penguin earlier this year, which jumps between the Malaysian emergency and the 80s to explore themes of gender, class, and ethnicity in telling a story about a dark family history. Catherine Menon is Australian-British, has Malaysian heritage, and lives in London. She is a university lecturer in robotics and has both a PhD in pure mathematics and an MA in creative writing. Her short story collection, Subjunctive Moods, was published by Dahlia Publishing in 2018. Her short stories have won or been placed in a number of competitions, including the Fish, Bridport, Bear Fiction, and Short Fiction Journal Awards. Her work has been broadcast on radio, and she's been a judge for several international short fiction competitions. Today, Catherine and I will discuss the historical setting of Fragile Monsters, a time period that normally doesn't feature in mainstream English language fiction. We'll talk about how she explores memory and shame, gender and race. So, Catherine, thank you so much for joining me today on the Asian Review of Books podcast. I wanted to start by introducing the historical setting. Fragile Monsters covers kind of two periods of history, Um, you know, broadly the first half of the 20th century leading up to the Second World War and a little bit afterwards, and then, of course, the 80s. Um, These correspond to the characters of Mary and Durga. But what is Malaysia like during these two periods of the 20th century? Uh, Thank you, Nicholas. It's a great question, and it's great to be on here. So in Mary's timeline, in the uh, period just immediately before the Second World War, uh, Malaya, as it was then, uh, was a British possession. So it was a colonial possession. Um, Britain controlled the administration. Uh, They controlled things like the law, the distribution, the economy. Um, And this was the case for a um, a lot of British possessions that the British did not necessarily do the best job of running it. And uh, during the time of the the Second World War, uh, when the Japanese were threatening to come down the Malayan Peninsula to invade Malaysia, um, the British initially um, considered that this would be unsuccessful. Uh, When they eventually discovered it was that the invasion was likely to be successful, they fled leaving behind the the Malaysians, the the actual inhabitants of of Malaysia, to face the the oncoming invasion. So this uh, was one of the the primary factors in in cementing uh, the Malaysian move towards uh, independence. Um, As as it happened, the the British did not do so well out of their retreat. They retreated to Singapore, which they thought would never fall. and uh, the Japanese invaded by borrowing bicycles and cycling down the peninsula. 
So this um, period of, of occupation, this period where uh, Malaya, as it was then, as I said, has transitioned from being under the rule of one power, one foreign power, to being under the rule of a second foreign power, uh, with all the turbulence involved with that, is the society that Mary's operating in. Now, Durga is operating in a very, very different society, not modern Malaysia, uh, but Malaysia as opposed to Malaya, so post-independence, um, and a Malaysia that's uh, opened up to global traffic, a Malaysia that's looking towards building up uh, increased uh, opportunities for education, uh, increased integration opportunities. Um, Durga herself has gone away to Canada. She's uh, spent some time there as a mathematics lecturer, and now she's come back to one of the universities that were gaining significant prominence in the 80s. So we have two quite contrasting time periods there, and particularly contrasting in the opportunities that they offered to women, which is where a lot of the conflict uh, between Mary and Durga actually stems. And it's interesting you mention that because in in one sense, in the in the way, trying the best way to phrase this, in the section in the eighties, you know, Mary is, um, I wouldn't say she is the your your stereotypical kind of traditional grandmother tut tutting at, at Durga's attitude towards towards men and et cetera, et cetera. Um, she's obviously more complicated than that, even in as, as she's portrayed in the eighties. But clearly, then as you look back to how she's portrayed in the in the other time periods, the earlier time periods, it's a much more complex character. Um, I guess if you can kind of go into how, maybe how you portray Mary's character in both of these time periods. Yes, I I think personally that young Mary would very definitely be someone that older Mary disapproves of. So young Mary, as I said, has um, grown up in the 1920s. Uh, she's grown up in a society in which she personally is privileged, uh, both by class and by race, uh, but a society in which her gender um, constrains her opportunities, constrains her potential futures, uh, constrains what she can and can't do. And as Durga does uh, in the 1980s, uh, Mary rebels against it. So Mary, despite, um, to a certain extent, uh, going along with the the opportunities which are offered, um, I think even as a young woman, she is open to to forging her own identity. So uh, she chooses whom she wants to marry. Uh, she rebels against the particular upbringing that her parents try to to impose on her, which again is a, a generation before that, um, and. During the period of the war, she actually takes quite quite significant actions to try and keep her family together. So as a, a young woman, Mary is very active. Mary is um, forced to make choices, which as an older woman, she might regret. So some of her choices, in fact, revolve around her relationship with uh, her best friend, and the the tensions there are, uh, some of the choices she's forced to make um, revolve around whether or not she stands by her husband at certain times. And of course, whether she can keep her family together. 
and the uh, the outcome of that Mary's relationship with her daughter Francesca, who is missing throughout the entire book, is one of the the triggers for for Durga's. Uh, revelations when she comes to discover about this, discover this later in the 1980s. I, I do have kind of one more question about the history before we go into more of the the, the themes of the book. Um, you know, Malaysia is a country, I think, whose, whose history isn't really discussed outside of the region. Um, it's probably not a country whose history features a lot in, as I said, in kind of mainstream English language fiction. Um, but to you, what makes its history so compelling as a setting for, for a story? I think one thing which makes it so immediately compelling is the the recency. So when we look at mainstream historical fiction, a lot of it focuses on European fiction, and it's talking about things that happened in the, uh, the 13th century. And as a result, I think we tend to assume that historical fiction is only um, the olden days. But of course, Malaysian history, um, particularly since Malaysian independence, uh, Merdeka, as we've seen, the emergence of new areas of Malaysian economy, um, even incidents like the the May 13th incident, uh, they're all living, living incidents, it's living history. Um, I also think that uh, to a certain extent, when we look at the war, we do tend to subsume um, the Asia-Pacific narrative into a, a more global perspective. And I think we do a disservice to the actual unique stories of Malaysians there. I think that life in occupied Malaysia was so different to life in occupied France, for example, and it's the fact that we don't have those voices telling us what it was like. The fact that we go, we need to go and search for uh, for authentic voices from that time period that really makes makes me think this is such a fascinating period of history. I, I wish there were more written about it. Well, I, I think I think that's probably right. I mean, I feel like most conceptions of of of, of the Asia theater of the Second World War are basically. Japan invades China, then Pearl Harbor happens, and then kind of <laughs> yes. everyone is kind of a blank until the Americans solve everything. But of course, that's not the case, um, as as shown by, um, well, as shown by your book um, and your discussion of what's going on in the countries that Japan invaded. Yes, I I think um, I mean one of the major misconceptions is that the Japanese bombing of Pearl Harbor was was the Japanese entry into the the Second World War, but of course the invasion at Kotobaru happened before that, not long before that, but but yes, certainly before that. I also think that in uh, mainstream mainstream media, TV shows um, in particular. Uh, that are either slated to be made or perhaps uh, movies that have been made, there's a significant focus on the experience of British expats during the war. So the focus is on, the, for example, the fall of Singapore from the point of view of the British there, potentially the retreat from the Malayan Peninsula from the focus of the British. There's very much a sense that uh, when the British left, they left a complete vacuum behind, which... Again, of course, as you as you said, isn't the case. They left behind hundreds and thousands of stories, and it's those stories that I, I really think we should be trying to access today. 
So I'm 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 actually gonna gonna revamp my question order here because this leads to an, um, a thought that I had, which is um, as you were writing the book and as you were kind of developing the story and fleshing out the setting, what kind of research did you do to kind of familiarize yourself with both that time period of the Japanese invasion, the Malaysian emergency, and also the Malaysia of the 1980s? Uh, one of the things I did was um, I spent an awful lot of time reading primary sources. So uh, these were things like um, old newspapers that uh, that I could access from the British Library. They were letters that people had sent, uh, Malaysians living in under occupation had sent to each other. It was interviews conducted with, with people immediately after the close of the war. Um, because one thing that was really important to me was to hear people tell their own stories in their own words. So I think whenever we tell a story, we distance ourselves from it. Every layer of words that we put between ourselves and the event is a distancing. It's a pushing away. It's a reframing of the event in uh, a way that tells a better story or a way that promotes our particular worldview or a way that serves our own agenda. And although Fragile Monsters is, of course, uh, another layer of words, in doing the research, it was really important to me that I, I reduced that distance, that I actually uh, was able to, to hear people's experiences um, from their mouths, so to speak. Uh, my family was uh, in Malaysia at the time. Uh, my father's family are Indian Malaysian uh, who lived in Pahang. And some of the stories which he told me about his childhood in, occupi in occupied Malaya, uh, some of those stories have, have made it in under quite, uh, quite different guises into fragile monsters as well. So I'd like to kind of shift now to talking about some of the some of the themes of the book. Maybe let's start with um, discussions around, you know, memory, the meaning of truth, especially when it comes to families, uh, the the power of shame, which are all kind of major themes of the book, especially when it comes to the stories of Mary and Durga, who both have childhood tragedies that they try not to think about very hard. Um, they both have relationships with involving men that they're also not too keen on talking about too much. Um, but I guess, can, can, you, can you kind of talk a bit more about your decisions and your thoughts around um, these ideas around memory and truth and, 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 and shame? Yes, it's, it's a great question. I think memory is fascinating. So we've all had those experiences where we're sure we remember something about our childhood, uh, some event, some uh, friend we had, and suddenly someone says something that makes us realize, hang on, it wasn't like that at all. But even when you know that that memory is false, it can be very, very hard to shift it. Even when you've seen a photograph and you know that your best friend wasn't with you on the day you went to the, the park, in your head, she still was. So that was what I wanted to, to explore, the, uh, the interrelation between the past as it is uh, and the past as we remember it, and to start to explore in the circumstances in which both of those alternative pasts might matter to us. So Mary, for example, has um, constructed an alternative past, motivated 
I would say um, significantly by by trauma, by wanting to distance herself from that past or to reframe the past, to take back control of her life and to present the events in such a way that she can actually make sense of them, particularly when she's communicating with, with Doga, with her granddaughter. And Doga, on the other hand, uh, has no time for, for alternative views of events. Durga is uh, completely convinced that uh, memory should be correct at all times. She's She thinks memory should be a, a computer disk recording rather than a story that we tell ourselves about the past. And it was this, this conflict that I wanted to explore in Fragile Monsters. Well, I was going to say, of course, Durga is a mathematician in the book, isn't she? Yes. So she's she's obviously going to lean towards logic rather than than stories. I I would say, if if I can say this as an author, that that Durga is a character who takes that too far. Um, you can see a lot of the conflict between Durga and Mary uh, comes from the fact that Mary thinks something is true if it makes a good story, whereas Durga thinks something is true if you can prove it. And of course, they're both wrong um, and both completely unable to be convinced that they're wrong. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, the number of times when it's like, is this, is this, is this event as you've recounted it true? And the answer is maybe not entirely, but the story's better that way. Um, yes. <laughs> or, or there's a, or like, or rather, like the truth isn't the point. The point is the point I'm trying to make in telling the story. Um, yes, I think that's that's absolutely correct. That sometimes the the relevance of of truth when we're we're telling stories about the past is not as not as important as the the story that we construct. So a lot of myths are like this. For example, um, nobody really thinks that that there was a I don't know, a St. George who slayed a, a literal dragon or that, that tiger princes really did roam the, the jungle. Nobody thinks that's literally true, but myths and ghost stories and folklore do contain something that speaks to us at a deeper level than, than correctness. I would say they, they are not right, but they are true at some level. Um, so another another kind of theme in in fragile monsters are discussions around around gender class and um you can call it race or ethnicity and 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 we'll get to race i think in a in the next question but i want to focus on gender and class in this question um you know i guess how how does fragile monsters and how did you as a writer kind of deal with gender dynamics class dynamics um in telling Mary's story and telling Durga's story, um, I know one of the one of the major side characters is uh, Kartika, the maid, who is mm-hmm. both uh, of a lower class, um, but in some ways holds some power over Durga due to her relationship with the character of Tom. Yes. So one thing which I did want to do was to explore the complexity of relationships, both the the positive and the negative side. And the extent to which uh, interpersonal relationships are not, in fact, our own personal choices. They are shaped by societal pressures. So, as you say, um, Durga's treatment of, of Karthika is um, very privileged. Durga comes from 
uh, a particular segment of the class of in, in which she has power over over Kartika. But it isn't that simple because Kartika has a relationship with Tom. Uh, Tom has a certain uh, element of power um, because he is he is white, as we'll get on to, because he is a man. Um, and uh, it, it's important to to emphasize this is 19, 1980s. Uh, this isn't modern day Malaysia. Um, the gender roles in the 1980s were not as uh, not what they are today. Um, and both Mary and Durga and to a certain extent Kartika are rebelling against these cultural and gender expectations. They're all trying to to forge their own personal identities um, within the constraints of those expectations and trying to, to break the boundaries of them. I think perhaps all three characters are to a certain extent doomed to um, to fit within the tram lines of what society expects. So when you have a, a true outsider like, like Sangeeta, who is Durga's colleague from Canada, who is completely off page, who is an observer, uh, she's perhaps the only character in the book who can take a detached view of these relationships, who can tell Durga that, that Tom is bad news, or who could couldn't tell Durga that um, her treatment of, of Kartika isn't what it should be. Um, but paradoxically, it's the outsider, the observer, who actually lacks the cultural context to fully understand why Durga feels um, privileged enough to treat Kartika that way and why Kartika also expects it and works within those dynamics to to privilege her own um, advantage, which is the advantage she gains from her her illicit relationship with with Tom. So I think this is potentially now a a segue to talking about, let's say, race and ethnicity. Um, You know, both both Durga and Mary are are Indian Malaysian. Um, They have childhood relationships with Chinese Malaysians. Um, obviously, they're not part of the Malay majority. And then, of course, you have Tom, who's white. Um, how did how did discussions are kind of around race and ethnicity? How how do they play into um, the story you tell in Fragile Monsters? I think they certainly do. I I don't think you could tell the story of the history of Malaysia without uh, w- without reflecting uh, the the story of race and ethnicity. So Tom, for example, um, in Fragile Monsters, is a disruptor. He quite literally comes in from from outside and proceeds to to lay havoc to everything, to essentially take, to take uh, Karthika's um, um, relationship with him, to take Durga's, uh, to take Mary's trust. He is... Um, he is a creator of havoc, if you, you you might put it that way, and of course the the three majority uh, ethnicities in Malaysia during the war had quite different experiences. So the Malaysian Chinese experience of the war was. Um, in some ways, significantly more harsh. The the Japanese, after invading China, um, came with a, a preconception of how they would treat Malaysian Chinese. Uh, the Malay majority obviously had their own significant uh, issues around both the war, both independence, the the uh, including the the setup of things like the MPAJA, Malaysian People's Anti Japanese Authority, and as well the um, 
the struggle with the British for uh, the the right to rule what they saw as, as their own country. And the Malaysian Indian experience was, of course, bound up with discussions around Indian independence, which again uh, was independent from the British, unsurprisingly, uh, which happened immediately after the war as well. So we have a certain sense of global dynamics uh, going on, which meant that all three of these ethnicities um, had significantly different experiences during the war, significantly different experiences uh, post-war, and you can still see that um, today playing out in in Malaysia. You can still see how the the different uh, economic positions of certain people, uh, different economic positions of families or communities can be traced back to those events. So it is very difficult to tell the story of Malaysia without without discussing race, which is why it does come up in in Fragile Monsters. So I think maybe I have have one more question. Um, And I think it's very clear that Malaysia is a setting, is a setting that's ripe for stories like this, where we talked about, you know, this around the history that's kind of under, that's that's not written about enough. Um, these dynamics involving gender and class and race, there's a lot that can be written about it, and it's a fertile ground for for lots of different kinds of stories. Um, if you were to write another novel set in Malaysia, what are some new themes that, that you might want to explore? I think I would want to explore themes around digital identity. So so now we are all, particularly in these pandemic days, um, connected to each other in a, a much more global uh, network than we would have been um, in the 1980s. So I'd like to explore modern Malaysian digital identity, as well as the experience of the Malaysian diaspora. So Malaysia in particular has uh, hundreds of students who have gone overseas, um, perhaps some under government assistance schemes, uh, some uh, under alternative funding uh, mechanisms, who've gone overseas, who've either settled there or studied there and returned. So there's a a significant Malaysian diaspora, uh, particularly in the UK. And one of the things I'd like to explore is the concept of Malaysian-ness when you're in another country, which, as you say, um, probably doesn't know very much about Malaysia to begin with. So it's the question of how do you preserve your identity, which I think is um, a bit of a theme for everybody in these days. So I think with that, um, that ends our interview with Catherine with Catherine Menon, author of Fragile Monsters. Um, so obviously, I think I actually have one final question. Um, you know, Fragile Monsters has, has come out. It's seen a lot of success. I think I saw that it was the Telegraph that named it one of their best novels of 2021 so far. I think they're not the only one who said that. Um, but uh, now that the book's out, uh, what's next for you? And then also, where can people find uh, all of your work? Um, so in terms of what's next, I'm currently working on my my second novel, which I'm I'm really excited about. It's, again an exploration of the balance between science and and feelings, as well as a a coming-of-age novel, so a novel at how we make the transition uh, from childhood to to adulthood. 
And uh, Fragile Monsters is, of course, um, published in in Malaysia. Uh, you can find it in um, in all bookshops that are that are currently open. I feel that we have to uh, to append that in in these days of COVID. Um, it's also available uh, digitally. You can buy it um, from uh, from Penguin directly or from a local distributor. And yes, I'm I'm very much looking forward to to uh, being able to share it with everyone. So you can follow me, Nicholas Gordon, on Twitter at Nick R. I. Gordon. That's N-I-C-K-R-I-G-O-R-D-O-N. You can go to AsianReviewOfBooks.com to find other reviews, essays, interviews, and excerpts. Follow on Facebook or on Twitter at Book Reviews Asia. That's reviews plural. And you can find countless other author interviews at the New, Book Net- at the New Books Network at NewBooksNetwork.com. We hope you're listening to the Asian Review Books podcast, now found on all your favorite podcast apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Rate us, recommend us, and share us with your friends if you want to support us continuing to interview those writing in, around, and about Asia. Next week, join us for an interview with Samira Shackle, author of Karachi Vice, Life and Death in a Divided City. But before then, thank you so much, Catherine, for joining me today. Thank you. I've really enjoyed this.